So, Paula, um, because you've gone through a lot of challenges, challenges and, and trials and tribulations throughout your life, um, we did touch, I did mention that this is um, a podcast about AA and how you overcame alcohol addiction. And that's the biggest thing. Um, so what drove you to uh, resorting to alcohol to, I guess, as a fix to your everyday problems mm -hmm. or everyday stress, you could say? Mm -hmm. um, well, so I started drinking um, in like when I was in uh, high school, I guess, like grade nine, I guess. So mm -hmm. 13, 14, something like that. Um, and I really just did started drinking like most of us, like, cause I'm was curious and everybody else was doing it and, um, all of that stuff. Um, and, uh, I really liked the feeling. Like I remember even that first drink, I really liked that feeling of like, um, I'm a very nervous and shy person. I have a lot of social anxiety, um, and and alcohol kind of allowed that to go away. Um, and at first, I was what most I would say would call like a pretty typical young person drinker. Who, you know, I was totally normal um, teenager and totally normal in my early 20s, going to university, do it, doing well in school, all of that, um, and binging on the weekends with my friends, because that's what you do when you're exactly. you know, 19, 20. Um, and so, so I think at first my relationship with alcohol was more just, um, getting over the social anxiety um and um and I think that it kind of started to slowly switch um after my dad passed away okay um so I was um in 2006 my dad passed away um and so I had just um, I graduated university in, in 2005, um, so I was like a year out and not really doing much of anything with my life, just doing, I don't even know what type of job I had, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I think I might have been working for Curves. Um, uh, and yeah, just like partying on weekends and stuff like that. And then after my dad passed away, um, it kind of became, it became more frequent. Um, yeah. I went to Australia. Oh, nice. Um, and I went for teacher's college. I did not finish teacher's college. <laughs> um, because, well, there were many reasons why I didn't finish teacher's college. Um, but, you know, I had a lot of fun partying. To be honest. I don't blame you. It's it's Australia, so it's just like, hey, why not see a kangaroo? And they they like, drink hey. a lot too, so <laughs> I was just trying to, you know, fit in. Um, and then after I came home from Oz, um, I um, I met a man, uh, and he was a daily drinker. Gotcha. Um, and 
smoked a lot of pot, mm -hmm. um, daily smoking pot um, as well. And I just kind of slid right into that lifestyle. Um, mm. We got married and, um, uh, and yeah, it just seemed kind of normal. Like I, I think because we both grew up with parents who, who drank um, pretty much every day, it seemed kind of normal. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, one, possibly two glasses of wine isn't a big deal. It's when it turns into three or four or five. Mm. Um, and so I think, I think um, I started using it or using alcohol and weed more as a um, stress reliever. Yeah. And I kind of, at that point, I kind of, um, I almost needed it at the mm. end of the day. I wasn't quite to the point where I was, um, uh, where you could tell something was wrong. I was just, I needed it every day. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then, so uh, we had a, a daughter. Okay. Um, her name is Daisy. Um, and she had major um, disabilities. Mm -hmm. Um, so she was born with something called microcephaly, um, which means small head. Um, and she um, couldn't talk or walk or um, any of the typical kid things she couldn't do. Um, and so I became her main caregiver. Um, and that is when at some point I stepped over a line and, and went from being a daily drinker who used alcohol at the end of the day um, to someone who used alcohol at the end of the day and sometimes in the early afternoon um, and pot almost all day. Yeah. Um, and so I used it really to, I felt like it, it made me feel more normal. Like I, I was just, you know, mummy with her mummy juice. Yeah. yeah. Cause there's a whole, you know, culture of, of mums drinking. And yes, yes. so kind of thought, <laughs> kind of thought I was at least somewhat normal. Um, and then and then it went into another dimension. Um, so she passed away in, in 2016. Oh, sorry to hear. And I know you already know that so your listeners know he's, he knows my story. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, so she passed away. And then that was when I was like, fuck this life. I don't like, what's the point of doing anything? Um, I'm just going to smoke pot all day and drink as often as I want because I had nothing, like I didn't have a career or anything. So mm -hmm. um, I, yeah, I just kind of, I, I just dove right into addiction and it went into the phase where um, eventually anyways, it went to the phase where I 
could barely make it to noon without a drink and I couldn't make it to like past 8 a.m. without pot. Was it a specific type of alcohol that you drank or was it like strictly just wine or um, anything? I would drink anything, but uh, I, it was mainly wine. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so I, I got basically to the point where I was, yeah, drinking every day, almost all day long until I passed out. Um, so you said that you were married or you are married. So I'll say we're married. Yeah. Um, what, how was your spouse at that point? Was he a good supporter in a sense that, um, said, Hey, I know you mentioned that he was a daily drinker and so on and so forth, but did he also indulge in as much as you? Was it like a tag? Like were you guys team, like just drinking together or was it just you solo going by yourself? Uh, it was us together. It was, um, uh, as soon as he got home, you know, we would, we would smoke a doobie and, um, he would have his whiskey and I would have my wine. Um, he also had a, um, a type of sex addiction. He was addicted mm -hmm. to porn. Uh, so, um, for most, like for the first couple of years of Daisy's life, that part of it didn't really, um, like I knew he liked porn because who doesn't like porn, but I knew he liked porn <laughs> and, um, but it didn't interfere with our actual life that much. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and then at some point, um, uh, I think when Daisy was like maybe three, no, two or three, um, uh, he started basically spending his entire evening watching porn mm. um, and drinking and then smoking pot with me every once in a while. Um, yeah. So we were both really in, in the... Um, you thought you guys were like separate then? in a sense? We were separate in terms of like, I wasn't sitting there watching porn with him, but, yeah. um, but we were, we were both in our own addictions fully. Gotcha. So it was like really uh, toxic and it's sad to say this words like a toxic environment than it was mm -hmm. during your time, I guess, of marriage. Because I think if, again, this is just me doing the assumption, um, if there was one, at least one of you guys being that supportive role uh, for each other, your life or the path after would have been a lot different. And I guess more brighter, I would say. Yes. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, um, we definitely had um, a very, it was a very weird type of relationship. Um, I now can see that he was quite controlling and um, narcissistic and um, he was, um, he wasn't violent in the sense of he wouldn't like hit me, but he was violent in the sense of if he got mad, he would throw things. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and 
and so my whole life became what can I do to make sure that doesn't happen mm-hmm. um and um and yeah and, and Daisy like Daisy w- was a beautiful wonderful girl who had a beautiful wonderful life mm-hmm. despite all of this um most of our almost all of our like drinking and smoking pot they would ramp up when she she um would go to bed so yeah. like um we were pretty normal even keel and then she would go to bed and then we would get drunk and high were any of your friends involved in any of this as in like would you go out during this time have a good party drink a bunch over there and then came home or was it really just in your house in your own bubble it was just you and your husband at that time just drinking out um it was mainly me and my husband um when you have kids it's hard to go out that's true um so um not to say that we couldn't have but we yeah like we stayed in and and um for the most part and then when our friends did come over though it was to drink yeah yeah so so this is an aa i'll say uh, podcast <laughs> and <laughs> and how you uh, overcame your alcoholism so let's move to that then um what made you choose to curve your addiction or i'll say um because again as you mentioned earlier we do know each other what made you decide to stop drinking stop drinking um okay so i had um what we call a bottom Mm. uh in aa that's what we call it anyway um and um so so my dry date is june 22nd uh 2017 oh nice um and at the end of May of that year, um, I was super drunk. I was living at my mom's at that, at that point. Um, and I was super drunk. She wasn't home. Um, and I was crying and missing Daisy and feeling like everything was a piece of shit. And I tried to commit suicide. Oh, wow. Um, and um but i i was i am like an expert at hiding Mm -hmm. my sadness from my family um so um so basically i uh ended up uh throwing up for 24 hours um and uh told my mom i had food poisoning and um and and then continued on my way to towards more more pot and more alcohol um because I thought well I can't even kill myself properly so might as well just drink myself to death Mm. um and so fast forward I guess to mid-June, I was, you know, still at my mom's and drinking and smoking as much pot as I possibly can. 
um, my mom at that point was working a lot, like mm. out all the time. So it was really easy to just kind of hide in my room and, and she wouldn't really know um, what was going on. And I think at that point she might've, yeah, that's what it was. She was, um, she was up at her cottage um, and uh, I was in, I was at home in her home um, and I had, um, my husband and I had two dogs mm -hmm. and at that point we were still trying to share responsibility. And, um, so I had the dogs that week cause my mom was away. Um, and I got to the exact same place, basically mentally where I'd been in May at the end of May, um, where I, all I wanted to do was kill myself. Yeah. Um, and, um, but because I had already taken, so the previous um, attempt was with, my mom had a really big um, bottle of Tylenol PMs and mixed with like other Tylenols and I don't know. And I basically downed all of them. Mm. Um, so there was no, <laughs> there was no Tylenol in my house. Um, and, and I had this like, just split second of like I was looking down at my dog and he was looking up at me with like so much love the way dogs do um and I was like I cannot do this I can't like continue to be this person who gets ridiculously drunk and wants to kill herself and um I like I just this has to be it so in a very drunken, cryy way, um, I wrote my, my mom, my two sisters, and my therapist a letter on uh, an email because I knew I had just enough, um, you know, mental capacity to know that if I didn't do something right at that moment, I wouldn't do it. And yeah. the next day would be the same and so on and so on. Um, so I wrote them an email saying I need help. I have alcohol problems um, and, um, and then passed out. And <laughs> the next day, um, the next day uh, was my first day of sobriety. Yeah. Um, and I, I have an aunt who is an alcoholic and who um, has been sober through AA. So it kind of was my automatic go-to was AA. Um, and so I called them and then um, found out about a meeting to go to. Um, I, I got my best friend to drive me there because I, I didn't think I would be able to force myself to go by myself. Yeah, I think that would be the hardest thing um, going there. I think a lot of people make up their mind that they want to get help and they want to get fixed. Mm -hmm. But if they are the one going there, they somewhat say, you know what, maybe, maybe I was just joking. Maybe I have you second guess yourself in a sense. So I think if you have a good support, you're most likely to go there and mm -hmm. continue that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was my first AA meeting and, um, and 
there was just enough information in that AA meeting, like just enough things that got through to my my fuzzy brain um, that made me go, okay, I need to to figure out this AA thing. I need to to try it and go all in so so that hopefully um, this problem will that I have will go away. Yeah. So. And how long have you been going to AA since? Um, I have been going to AA. I just celebrated four years um, in June. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I've been going since then. That's very good. Um, so with AA, like, how is it there? Like, give me, like, I don't know, 30 seconds of what AA is about. Because, like, <laughs> how I picture AA, it's, like, a, just a group of people in a circle, as I see on TV, and everyone's just talking. My assumption is there's like group activities. There's more. Like I don't know. Everyone's like sing sing kumbaya. Like in all honesty, I I don't like I I don't know. <laughs> okay, uh, so AA in a nutshell is um, just a group of drunks trying to help other drunks stay sober. Mm. Um, it's not organized. There's a bit of organization at like a top level in terms of there's like a head office in New York and then um, like Toronto has a head office, but everything else is, is kind of volunteer um, based. Um, the only requirement is that you want to stop drinking um, and uh so most meetings, so there's a few a couple of different types of meetings. Um, there is a speaker meeting, which is where someone will speak for normally almost the whole meeting. Mm -hmm. um, so let's say 30 to 40 minutes. Um, and uh, they're just sharing um, uh, their their strength and hope with, with the group. Um, the basic outline for that type of um, speaking is, you know, what, what it was like, what happened, what is it, what's it like now? That's our basic outline. Um, and so there's that type of meeting, then there's discussion meetings, mm. um, which are um, where if we were in person, we would sit in a circle <laughs> and we would, um, normally what happens is we read some of the AA literature and then there's discussion so people can share either something that they have found helpful um, that relates to what we read or um, uh, or just something that's going on in their life. Yeah. Um, so that's the main basis of it. Um, most of those types of meetings have rules around um, crosstalk, so you can't um, you can't talk about someone else's share. You're not there to give advice. You're just there to listen. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like therapy in the sense that you're there talking about your shit um but but not 
with like a licensed therapist or someone who's gonna, you know, tell you things that you should do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what, in all honesty, I guess, as listeners, and even myself being interested and very interesting about this, um, what's keeping you from relapsing? In all honesty, as we mentioned earlier, there's a lot of triggers out there. Uh, a lot of people go through stress, depression. It's alcohols on TVs, movies, newspapers. It's everywhere we see. So mm-hmm. what's keeping you strong for so long? Uh, the AA program. <laughs> Seriously, if anyone is struggling with alcohol, go to AA and do what they tell you to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I have um, what people would consider a relatively strict program. I... Um, I I'm a sponsor. I sponsor. Uh, I have a sponsor. I go to meetings. I do service, which is where you just do things for the meetings. Um, uh, I work the steps, and and I do that all the time, consistently, whether yeah. I want to or not. So that's. That's the basis of, for me, for me, AA is the way I stay sober. That's good. That's very good. It's nice to hear, to be honest with you, um, because there's so much, there's a lot of organizations out there, especially something like AA, that's volunteer. And that's Mm -hmm. the biggest thing, because I find with volunteer work or volunteer organizations that they sometimes fall off Mm. and they stray a different way. But it sounds like, I'm not sure if you want, you could say where where you're going for AA, because it sounds like a very good organization and a mm-hmm. very good group of people in, in the center that are providing help, which is the biggest thing with um, voluntary, voluntary organization is that one, that they're providing help. And the second thing is that they're showing results. Yes, and you yeah. going, I assume you're going to the same place for the past uh, four years. Yes, um, yeah. yeah. So I would, I would have to assume that this is a very good organization a lot of good group of people there. Um, Mm -hmm. Say all this, have you seen people in your group that since you've been there, like from the beginning that are still there or have some of them, uh, sad to say, um, went back to alcohol? Um, The majority of people don't make it, Mm -hmm. uh, like statistically wise. Yes. Um, But... um, the two groups that I am a member of um, have really good sobriety in them. So they have people there who have multiple, multiple years of sobriety. Mm. Um, And so I've leaned on them and kind of learned a lot from them um, and taken inspiration from them. Um, One of the things that we kind of uh, promote is uh, to stay with the to stay with the people who you want what they have so um, and yeah so I I definitely learn the most from what we call old timers so people who have been in the program for a long time yeah yep. um, and yeah but it really is like a group of drunks learning to not drink together. 
So I must say something now. You keep saying a group of drunks. Yeah. Would that be the correct term for that? Or that <laughs> so I'm putting you on a spot for this. Because I'm going to disagree with this. And okay. I'm pretty sure there might be some other people that might disagree with that term. Okay. Because my personal opinion, if you are, hell, four years in, you're no longer a drunk. You are a, a, a hero. You are an overcomer. <laughs> you're an achiever. Yeah. So I would say a group of people that want to achieve and are being very successful in their life. Um, so I'm, I'm going to call you out on that one. Okay. <laughs> so there's two reasons I use group, group of drunks. Um, okay. So w one is that one of the mm, strongly suggested uh, things in AA is to have a higher power of some sort. Mm. It doesn't have to be God. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, it doesn't have to be any, any like spiritual thing. It can be, um, it can be just AA itself. Yeah. And so the reason I call us a group of drunks is because a lot, some people use uh, AA as their higher power. Um, because it's a power outside of your yourself, um, and so it could be considered a higher power, and they have the ability to help you stay sober. Um, and group of drunks is uh, G-O-D. Okay. So every time you, so our literature was written in the 30s and the 50s. And they haven't been rewritten or anything. So a lot of the language is, is old school and they do say God a lot. So for people who have a hard time with the idea of God, mm. our advice is often to replace that with group of drunks because we are That's awesome. a group yeah. of drunks helping each other stay sober. Okay. You get, you get a pass then. You get a pass. Yeah. And then the other reason is also, yes, I have been sober for four years, um, but I am one drink away from a relapse. Mm -hmm. It would only take one tiny sip of alcohol for me to be a drunk. Um, so reminding myself of that is is also a very important thing in my own sobriety that's interesting and, it, and it's interesting that you actually say that because it really is you're living on the edge when you think about it mm -hmm. um being past tense and an alcoholic um it really is and one drink in the fact that you could just go back to your old habits and it really it's you're really living on the edge and it must, and, and, and honestly, like the more I think about it, it's really, it is really hard to avoid these temptations with how life is in general. Mm -hmm. uh, you have COVID, which let people like pretty much force people to be um, self in self-isolation. Mm -hmm. That right there, I'm pretty sure if I looked at stats, like if there are stats on it, a lot of people became alcoholics. A lot of people drank, are drinking more than they used to. So to avoid all that during COVID, Mm -hmm. huge applaud to you okay. a huge applaud to your aa meeting that that continues and those people that continue to seek help that understand that hey people to be honest with you a lot of people there could be a group of people that 
before COVID weren't alcoholic. As soon as they started COVID, they are alcoholic and now they're seeking help because they know it's a change in their life. They know the change, a change around them that they're having instead of having one drink or like one drink a week, now they're having like five, six drinks a day mm-hmm. because of self-isolation and because of depression, because of losing their job. All these things um, promote um, addictions. Mm-hmm. So for you to be where you are, despite how the world is, again, with the pandemic and, and, and um, just life itself, um, I'm very proud of you. And oh. I'm very proud of those organizations that, again, that are volunteer. Mm-hmm. and that's a key thing it is volunteer these like people don't have to show up to this mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm very happy that there are a group of people that actually do that for the community for people that need and seek help so mm-hmm. I'm very yeah. proud that there is something like that out there yes yeah it's uh you you are right COVID um hit alcoholics and drug addicts pretty hard um mm-hmm. there have been a lot of people who um, have relapsed and um, and then if you look at the statistics for opioid uh, deaths it has yep. risen a lot um, since COVID started so yeah you, you're completely right it, um, it's been really difficult to stay sober this year um, I think for all of us and um, and thank God for Zoom because that's the only way I get to meetings at this point yeah yeah it's very true very true well thank you very much uh this has been very very interesting um mm-hmm. i've learned a lot and hopefully the viewers have learned have learned a lot um a lot of topics have came to mind in which i will be i'll say interviewing you mm-hmm. <laughs> um based off of what you said today and our previous conversations so i'm hoping to see you again so thank you yeah. for uh, coming oh no problem thank you any comments you want to make out to anyone that's seeking AA or want to join AA? Um, uh, so if you are seeking out AA, you probably are an alcoholic. So get that question out of your head. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, you know, people who don't have a problem with drinking don't just come to our, our AA meetings. That's not something that happens. So if you are seeking out AA, just assume that you are an alcoholic and go in it with everything you have. Do every suggestion that is given to you because that is the best way to stay sober. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. I know Paula for over two years, and this is the first time I've really spoken to her about her past. To interview someone or to learn about someone's past and understanding what they've been through and how they overcome it, it's very encouraging. I say that because alcohol, drugs, addictions, being in a toxic relationship, it's hard to get out of. And to actually have that willpower to know that, hey, I need to change. I need to be better than I was the day before. It is something that is very hard to do. So in my final conclusion, I would like to say anyone that is at that point in their life that is seeking help, please do so. It could be a life-changing decision. This is Chainsaw Phoenix, heading to the exit.